You are listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out, except today, where we're talking about a movie that came out one year ago. Recently, Sundance just wrapped up for 2022, and the movie we're talking about today is from Sundance 2021. We're going to be talking about a movie that swept most of the awards there that year. Uh, This is Coda. And it's looking like it will potentially be a big player at the Oscars this year. If you're listening to this uh, after the Oscar nominations, you'll know for sure. Um, As I'm recording this, we don't know that yet. But regardless, we're going to talk about it. And hopefully we picked well. We really liked this movie. Or I I know I did. Pierre Pierre liked it well enough anyway. And um, we, you know, as, as usual... We didn't spoil it too much, but this is technically a full spoilers episode, so if you um, haven't seen Coda yet and you would like to, now would be the opportunity to uh, step out for a couple of minutes, go watch Coda, and then come right back. And when you come right back, you will hear the Oscar shortlisted song from Coda, Beyond the Shore, by Amelia Jones. city streetlights are on and the dawn feels like ages away i'm here every day if i could see the daybreak over the ocean as the sun burns the fog and i'm starting anew out in to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about movies that just came out. And today's movie came out a year ago at Sundance uh, Film Festival in the States. So this isn't, uh, this isn't, this isn't quite a movie that just came out, but it is, it is potentially a big Oscar player. Um, Pierre, what are you, uh, you want to, you want to tell us a little bit about the movie Coda? Uh, yeah, so the movie, well, I guess, wait, CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adults? Is that Child of Deaf Adults, yes. Yeah, okay, so cool. It's, it's specifically a uh, term that usually refers to a hearing child of deaf adults. Oh, yeah, um, which is what the movie's about. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's like a... Uh, a coming of age story about um, a young girl who, or not young girl, she's like, you know, graduating soon. Um, yeah. And she has deaf parents, but she has a huge passion for singing. 
Um, so you kind of have like the whole, she wants to follow her passions, but parents aren't very supportive of a plot line going on, which, um, uh, is, is a common, is a common theme in coming of age movies. But in this case, it's amplified by the fact that the parents like, you know, they've been deaf, so they literally don't understand music, if that makes sense. <laughs> or they yeah. don't, they, they kind of understand, like uh, the dad makes reference to like, he likes hip hop because he can feel the beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't, like you know, obviously, it, they can't really appreciate music the same way uh, someone that can hear it could. Um, mm-hmm. So, so there's that, and then also she's also struggling with balancing her school life and her family life, and uh, seeking independence, I guess. Yeah, because as the only hearing member of her family, she is basically her family's free interpreter. So. Um, mm-hmm. Like, for their fish business, which is also important yeah, to say. Yeah, Fishing so business. balancing balancing her school and family life is uh, especially difficult because her family life includes her being like a really important part of the business who they cannot really function without at the at the moment. Yeah. So um, so yeah, it, it's a you know I I feel like it's like a a, a common um, a common tale, but done quite differently and done pretty well mm-hmm. uh just just with the whole I, I mean there's not many like you know movies with um you know I, I, they use they use uh deaf actors for everyone uh that is deaf in the movie which i think i think is like a pretty big step forward i want to say Unfor- unfortunately that's a big I, I feel like that might be a big step forward i so i sure. don't know i think so like either way it's a step in the right direction because mm-hmm. like um I think it should be mentioned, this movie is actually a remake of a French movie with the same basic themes. Uh, It's a coming-of-age story about a young girl who's the only hearing child of a deaf family. Notably in that French movie, though I don't know very much about it, I do know that none of the actors in the French movie were actually deaf. And in this movie, um, the three actors in her family who aren't uh, Amelia Jones, who plays the lead role, are actually deaf actors. Uh, one of whom is actually, um, what's her name? Marley Matlin, who is notable because she's the first deaf actress to win an Academy Award and actually the youngest actress to win an Academy Award, I believe. Oh, wow. That, that's actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, and it's directed by someone, Sion Heater. Cyan Heater. Um, yeah, I don't know who, how to pronounce it, but I think that's about right. <laughs> yeah, and it seems like uh, she's relatively um, new to like making her own films. I think this is her second feature, mm-hmm. I think. Um, first one is, says Tallulah from 2015, which was a Netflix release. Yeah, and she directed some TV before that, as well yeah. as a few shorts. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, uh, I I don't I I can't necessarily say I recognize a certain style from her, but like I thought this movie was pretty well directed. Mm-hmm. Oh, what what did you think? Oh yeah, I think like uh, in terms of directing, I don't know. I, this is her first movie that I've seen from her, and like. I think I've talked about this before on the past. I'm getting my memories mixed up, so I don't know where I talked about it for sure. But 
you know, when you see a director like Quentin Tarantino or uh, Wes Anderson, it's immediately clear what their directing style is. And with CN Heater, I definitely don't get that. Although I do think this was, uh, so like, I don't know what her directing style looks like. I'd have to see Tallulah and hopefully more things she does in the future. Um, but I guess, uh, this, but that said, this is really well directed. I think that, um, she's able to get really good performances out of all of her actors. Uh, her shot choices are pretty good. The way that the story plays out, um, works, I guess I'll say. Um, but like a lot of, this is a really emotional story. And I think that she's able to make the emotional beats hit really hard where they have to. And, uh, she made, she clearly like, she had the op, the ability if she would have wanted to, to make this way more melodramatic, like too way too much. So, and I don't think she did. I think she reined it in and made it like just the perfect amount of um, like the, the perfect balance of drama and comedy and emotional resonance personally. I think it's just a really well put together film and it's very subtle directing. And I think it's very good, subtle directing. Yeah. I was honestly pretty surprised. I like the, it felt very like, I don't know. It, it felt very professionally put together and like seeing it like on Apple TV, I assume this would be, this was like something bankrolled by Apple, which is why, because I, I, from what I noticed, Apple stuff is actually usually like pretty solidly high budget. Um, I believe this was acquired by Apple, not bankrolled yeah. by them. No, exactly. That's what surprised me though, is that, mm-hmm. uh, so I think that might speak to to Sion Heater's uh, directing abilities, I guess, because it felt like a like a hugely bankrolled movie, but it turns out uh, she was paid a lot later by Apple. But um, <laughs> but like the, this this movie felt really well put together, I guess. So yeah, that's a good and point. it only had a budget of ten million, which I can believe. But like, yeah. I've I've seen movies that look way worse that have a budget of 10 times that yeah so like well if i had to guess a big part of that is like it has a very low-key cast it does Um, for sure and uh the location they're filming in i'm guessing was probably pretty cheap to shoot in because it's like kind of a a small it's like a small fishing town basically i guess i want to say right it's uh Um, gloucester massachusetts and it was actually filmed there too yeah so I'm guessing, you know, there's, it's not an expensive location to shoot into. So, mm-hmm. uh, which probably let them, you know, spend more time on things and, and put more money and making the movie look good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it worked. Yeah. So good choices there. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what's notable to say, we, we actually recently talked about this movie on a different podcast, the Oscars Death Race podcast with Paolo. And he he went through a lot of the numbers uh like where specifically this movie stands in relation to where what it, what it's expected to be nominated for in the Oscars and i think uh i noted in that i'm not going to go through all those numbers myself right now but um i noted when he was talking about that that like this isn't even on the list for directing and i think that's a really that's really a shame because um this movie is a really good example of like 
it's it's a really well directed. I mean, we've already said this, but it's a really well directed film that's like not loudly directed. It's not a Wes Anderson. It's not a Quentin Tarantino. It's not like the director is their own character. It's just really allowing the film to breathe in a way that. Um, I don't know what is actually up for um, for potentially for director, but like this is a really this is a really good example of like good directing that you know isn't necessarily obvious. Yeah, and I my my point being, I would love to see this up for directing when the Oscars come. Although I don't know that I would necessarily think it should win. Well, I guess we'll find out soon. I mean, for so sure, would you for sure. would you put would you put her over Paul Thomas Anderson as the as the real <laughs> question? <laughs> um, I think a little bit. I think I as much as I hated Licorice Pizza, which you know came up last week. Um, I do think <laughs> that was really directed, really pretty well directed. Like that is a strong aspect of that movie. Um, but at the same time, I think that. I almost think this one, I think Coda is like more notable in that Paul Thomas Anderson has a distinct directing style. And like, it's not that that style is bad, but it's really rare that I see a movie like Coda where, well, it's not rare exactly, but it's rare that I see a movie like Coda that is as well directed as it is without being like, you know, um, Again, without that director becoming their own character, like the directing isn't, it's not distinct in the way that a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is distinct. And I think Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, uh, like Licorice Pizza was certainly dialed back in comparison to something like a Quentin Tarantino or a Wes Anderson, but it's still very, um, it's still got a very distinct style that's good, but I really appreciated how this one like didn't. I don't know if that all makes sense. But, well, <laughs> I mean, but like, the, this one didn't... It's, it's not like this didn't have a directing style at all, but it's like I never... Um, I never necessarily felt the... I never felt like I was being held... Like my hand was being held by CN Hater in this. And uh, in Paul Thomas Anderson's movie, I it was like I said, more dialed back than like really overt directors. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I did feel like I I did feel the director's presence there a lot. And it's really hard for me to explain exactly what I mean, because like, you know, if a movie doesn't have a director, you also notice that. So, yeah, well, I kind of, it's more passive directing. She, I feel like she really let, um, like kind of the act, the actors and the setting kind of do the work. Uh, yeah, so it was like more minimalist if that makes sense. Because and she wasn't asserting like, I guess herself or her personality into. It's like it reminds me of. There's a really famous director. I can't remember who it is. They're really fa- famous, but they. I think they did Sunset Boulevard. It's like a long time ago. Um, but he said that like, uh. He believes filmmaking, or uh, it's Billy Wilder. I hope this is the right person. He he believes that uh, great directors can let go of their ego and kind of like the the story will tell itself if that makes sense, and they'll take a step back and just like they're they're more in service of like what's on the screen rather than 
You know, mm-hmm. I feel like the Wes Anderson movie, it's like everything is in service to the way he wants to tell his story, if that makes sense. Oh, um, uh, like not, not to slander Wes Anderson here, but I recently watched a video on YouTube that was, uh, it was a red letter media video in, where they talked about the French dispatch. And uh, one of the hosts of that show said that Wes Anderson at this point is just like the MCU for indie film. Like (laughs) when you go to an MCU movie, you know exactly what you're getting into. When you go to a Wes Anderson movie, you're getting something very different than an MCU movie. But again, you know exactly what you're getting into. (laughs) Yeah. And so like, um, I mean, their point and one that I would definitely agree with is that like a lot of these louder directors, specifically Wes Anderson, um, they sort of fall into uh, if, if you're a very active director, I think that you do run the risk and not necessarily the inevitability, but you do run the risk to some degree of falling into like your own kind of niche, like a Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino, less so than Wes Anderson. But like, I don't know if you saw the French Dispatch. The French Dispatch is the opposite of what I would call a challenging movie for Wes Anderson to make. It is a very Wes Anderson movie. And while a lot of artistry and like skillful craftsmanship went into it, it's also the same thing he's been doing for 20 years. Uh, And like, you know, again, in this video, they said, Wes Anderson, go make Ant-Man and the Wasp 2 or something. Like do something that's really out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm getting sidetracked, but... uh, I mean, I think that's just an issue you may, you run into with really active directing, which is why I really pr- appreciate passive directing when it's done really well. Yeah. Yeah, and like, like I said earlier, one of the benefits of, of passive directing is I think it really lets the cast shine, which I think they really did in this movie. Um, I mean, like, I, I, I feel like it, it might be maybe more easy to praise because it's, you know, I, it's not very often I see performances that are so, uh, I don't know, a, like ASL oriented. I don't think like the last movie I remember seeing that was a lot like this was like uh, sound of metal, right. Mm-hmm. Um, which featured a lot of ASL, but it was never like all the characters could speak English or they, they could speak. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I like, I think that they knew how to speak in like, they just, they never spoke because like, uh, they weren't, uh, the parents in this movie and the brother character, uh, they couldn't, they could never hear. So like, they don't, they don't say things. Uh, it's all, it's all ASL. I think the, maybe, maybe a way to say that difference, like an important difference between this and the sound of metal is the sound of metal is about a person who was, uh, culturally American. He came from, um, he came from a world of hearing of, of like, hearing English speakers and he was a musician within that world in this movie all of the cast is even the speaking character like who's our main character is culturally deaf like they they come from the United States none of them are like culturally French but like um her family uh grew up at least in some part around um, around deaf people and they were inundated. They, they grew up deaf. They grew up around deaf people, at least to some degree. They were, they were culturally deaf. Like that is a, that is an actual term. And I think that's an important distinction here because what that ends up meaning is 
in the sound of metal, we had one person who was like, he was new to deaf culture and being introduced to it a little bit by force, but like he was a person who was not in deaf culture, having to learn about deaf culture here. We actually have the opposite. We have someone, but like also not the very early stages of that opposite. Like our main character, Ruby Rossi, uh, her family is culturally deaf by extension. She ends up growing up at least somewhat culturally deaf. But then when she, by the time of this movie, she's like, you know, she's gone, she's, done her entire high school um, in a speaking high school. And we have, and like the movie doesn't deal with her uh, getting into a different culture. It's more like, it's much easier for, or it's much like more able to compare and contrast deaf culture with hearing culture. Yeah. Uh, What I think, well, that's kind of the, I guess strength of the film too is that it it it's uh, I guess kind of it 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 takes that situation of being kind of in the middle of it and like stretching it as much as possible if that makes sense, mm-hmm. um, which is where a lot of tension comes from I guess. But um, yeah, I don't know the uh, I I personally I I think the the roles of like the parents were like really really well casted at least. Um, I thought they like brought a lot of charisma and stuff and they were like, um, I don't know. They had a lot of chemistry, uh, and like they, I don't know. They just, they felt like it felt like it really lived in family, if that makes sense. Um, Definitely. It didn't feel like, like sometimes like I feel like in movies, like everything feels very like, it's like a little too like neat and like the dialogue's a little overly like nice and it just feels like they were this family was put together but this felt like a family that's been together for a long time and i think that's like a tough thing to get right um but yeah they really i think they did it quickly there's i think there's like maybe a couple scenes that were like not exposition heavy but like like when they're setting it up it was like a little too much like i didn't personally i didn't like a lot of the uh the vulgar humor i i like don't get me wrong i feel like i usually love vulgar humor but then like there were some scenes it was just like it felt like they were trying to be like ooh this family's so like cool or normal because they like swear at each other or something like that that's what it kind of felt like at first but it got better as the movie went on yeah i didn't quite get that exact same impression like i know what you're talking about um for me it didn't feel like they were saying this is a cool family it was just like well, because they can't hear any, like, they don't have the same taboos as hearing people do. And I think, like, in a lot of ways, this uh, this movie was, like, really interesting to me for that. Because, you know, the very first scene, well, one of the very first scenes with the family is that everyone is doing whatever tasks they're doing as loud as they possibly can. And, like... It's, it's really funny because in, you know, in normal fam, well, in, in my family life and to some degree, like, um, in family life as it's depicted in movies, you know, being extremely loud so that other people can't hear what they're doing is that's, that's a taboo, but this family doesn't care because that's not an issue for them. So like dad can be like, banging he can be banging the grill as loud as he as loud as he wants he can't hear it 
mom yeah. is do it is like has the water running full blast and is like clanking all the dishes together as she's as she's um as she's washing dishes because it doesn't matter her brother is on tinder with his phone all the way up like i think that it's i think it's kind of interesting to examine like even just subtle taboos like that that, that like just don't exist for this family. And I think that um, a lot of the ways where it comes across like they're a cool family because they make a lot of sex jokes, I honestly think that's um, potentially just sort of a result of that. Like her parents have her, her parents have sex on occasion and it's very, <laughs> very, very loud because they don't have to care, but because she can hear like, she's gonna notice and i think that like a lot of their openness with that i can definitely see that i can definitely see that as uh, a lot of their openness with that coming from the fact that this is a taboo they're just not able to respect so they don't they don't care about it and they like are very open with that instead of having that be taboo yeah yeah well okay that's a good point like it, it helps i guess create uh or just just show what makes this family or how that lifestyle is different i guess Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah there's a lot of little touches like that that like are they necessary i don't know but they to me they make the family feel more authentic Mm -hmm. just these little details right yeah the small things yeah um but yeah i rest of the like i like i think i like the main actress she was pretty good Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love the brother that much, honestly. I I thought I, like he he did his job. But I don't feel like really stuck out in any way. If that makes sense. Um, I don't know, is that just me? What, what did you think? I actually really liked the brother. Um, I thought that he I thought his performance was really good, and I thought that the way that he um, because like he is deaf where his sister is not. And because his sister is able to hear, she has like a very important role in the family as an interpreter, which occasionally like, I mean, because she's so needed by the family as an interpreter, it kind of makes the brother feel useless a lot of the times. And I thought that um, the actor, uh, Daniel Durant was really good at portraying like, he, you know, he's a kid who, um, he's working in the fishing business, which like, that's good. He's going to go a long way in that business, but like, he didn't go to university and he, and he is deaf. So he's not able to interact with his, with the hearing community around him. It's not that like, he has a very bright future ahead of him, but like just the specific circumstances around him, around his character, coupled with the fact that his sister is um, uniquely important within his family can definitely make someone just feel completely useless. And I think that he embodied that really well. And I think that he brought a lot of emotional weight to this movie. There's a, there's a really good scene at the end where he's kind of lashing out at his sister because his sister has decided that she's not going to go to college. She's going to stay here and she's going to help the family instead. And he's lashing out at her. Like 
no, go away so that like I can be the important one is kind of what it comes across as. It's not exactly that. But like there's a really, really good uh, shot in that where he like yells at his sister. He says something to her and then he turns around. And for me, I really like that shot just because when he turns around and he can no longer see his sister, the conversation is over. She can't yell, wait. She can't say anything because he can't hear it. So, like, I thought that was a really emotionally impactful moment. And I thought that, like, Daniel Durant was able to make those moments hit really well. I think it was a um, – he wasn't asked to do – to be, like, in a really unique role, if that makes sense. But I mm-hmm. think that he was able to bring a lot to that role that he did have. That's fair, yeah. I, I, I just – I guess I wish we saw maybe more of him in his interactions with his sister. Yeah, might have helped flush it out a little more, um, but yeah. And then there was the the teacher character, which I kind of liked. I thought it was like solid, um, mm-hmm. good mentor figure. Uh, and the the last one I can think of is like the the boy, the guy she's kind of seeing. But I I honestly hated that role so much. It was like it felt like such a filler arc slash role in the movie for me. Um, yeah, like he he exists to so that she like feel better about herself. <laughs> like, I, I guess because he's supposed to be like the popular kid in school, but then he like ends up liking her because of like because they were singing together and stuff. And it just feels like really cliche and like like I didn't really feel like they had any real chemistry. They were just like and and like the plot line doesn't really go anywhere either. Like I don't think she needed this plotline to like really grow as a character i mean i think it's an important part of the story because it does really anchor her to the 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 love interest character is another kid that's currently in the choir Mm -hmm. and like by having him in the movie it does kind of anchor her to the choir she's never able to just dip on it entirely which like i don't know that she would but it does kind of give her something to do in the choir um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I appreciate that much. First. Yeah. Working and then later on, later on, even when he's no longer a motivation, quote unquote, he is like, um, you know, she still has to be around because he has a, because like him and her are doing a duet. So like they, they have to interact. And not only that, like, that's what I mean when I say he's the anchor to, Uh, he's her anchor to being in the choir. Like she can never, she can't really like leave him high and dry like that. So, you know, I appreciate the importance, I guess, of that role, but it's not that, but like, he's, he's not like fantastic in it and he's not special at all. (laughs) Poor guy. He even gets, oh wait, no, that's a spoiler. Never mind. (laughs) But I take it back. But yeah, he's a, I don't know. I think a, a pretty, basic role that i wasn't a big fan of mm-hmm. um but yeah i and, and like the i don't know what, what did you think this i guess this is like technically a very music oriented movie right yeah um i don't know how much like like do, did you know a lot of the songs that were performed in this did they stick out to you in any way or like were they good i mean i was like familiar like? with i was familiar with most of them like they're all old songs primarily yeah. Um, and I thought they were like well performed. I 
as much as we talk about acapella on our various podcasts, like <laughs> I don't love acapella that much. So like, I thought a lot of it was cringe, but that's really just because it wasn't for me. Um, mm. It was like the, the music was good. She, Amelia Jones is a good singer. Uh, I believe that she is professionally a singer. So like, you know, mm. that works out. Uh, I'm glad they got someone who could sing in this role because if they didn't, it would be very weird. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. Um, yeah, she she seemed pretty good. I, I guess I was never like amazed by her. Like it, it, it did kind of confuse me at times where it feels like they were like like the teachers like, oh my god, she's like she's got a gift and stuff. Um, but I wasn't necessarily buying it that much. I mean, I'm not an expert in, like, judging singing, believe me. But um, I don't, that's just the vibe I got. Like, she seemed, like, solid. But, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess I would say, like, there's some movies where... <sighs> no, never mind. I can't even say that because I don't... Th- I can't think of an example. But it's just, like, yeah, she was... She was, like... She was a very good singer. And, like, I could buy enough... Oh, I, I could definitely buy that the teacher thought she had a gift because, like, she's very talented. And she she showed off a lot of that talent in this movie. And, like, you know, this wasn't a movie about a professional singer. So if she only was very talented, that was that would be great. Like, that would already be enough. But she she was she's a very good singer. So that's fair. And I, I did. Uh, I guess I like the way the movie tied into like the like the music kind of like like the climax of the movie kind of ties like a lot of the the music together with the plot lines and they do kind of like a, a montage thing. I don't know. I thought it was really, I thought it was well executed if, even though like the climax felt like a little too easy, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like there's a lot in this movie that feels a little easy. Like this movie is um, Coda uses genre cliches a lot. And uh, I think it uses them well. Like, this is a very predictable movie. There's very few surprises in it um, in terms of plot surprises. But I don't think that's a bad thing, personally. Uh, I know you may have had some some ideas on this. So if you want to elaborate. Yeah, I I don't know. It's just, like, it, it felt... Like, I, I get sometimes you can, like, kind of tell a story, but it's different because of, like, the setting. So, it's bring, like, what it's bringing you to the table is, like, the setting or, like, the circumstances. Um, and I thought it did that. Like, I, I think the whole the whole contrast of, you know, um, a child with deaf parents wanting to get into music and be, and be supported by her parents, if that makes sense. Um, it's like, it's a very, like, that's a very, uh, you know, fame, like pursuing your dreams is very common in coming of age movies, um, and not having the support of your parents. Uh, and I think this, like, you know, this whole situation really added to that and made me more interested, but it never like, I don't know, nothing, it, nothing like there were, didn't really feel like there were moments to me or like really, like really, uh. I just never felt really heartfelt, if that makes sense. Um, Sorry, it was relatable for sure. It never felt. I never felt a lot of heart in it. You know, it felt like the movie 
touched on a lot of things that like was like oh this should this should evoke emotion like that scene uh there's a scene where i don't know if this is a spoiler but there's a scene where the dad is trying to um listen to his daughter sing and through her vocal cords right and uh so just like the vibrations or whatever and i feel like that was supposed to be like a very emotional scene but like the execution wasn't really there and i don't know if that was the directing or the acting or just like maybe i was overthinking the scene a lot um but it felt like a very pivotal po- moment in the movie and it mostly felt like a moment that just kind of came and went and i didn't really like get much out of it you know cuz i guess it's weird because like i i feel like the parents were never really that against their daughter right like the, the change felt really easy um mm-hmm. they were very good parents from like for the for the most part and like the daughter was actually very mature too it's it's yeah. weird complaining about like characters that like are mature and like just made like really good decisions the whole movie and stuff <laughs> like it kind of like it just it just took a lot of it out of it for me and i felt like it was um I don't know. In some ways, like it, it felt like it relied too much on the fact that, like, I think them, the parents, uh, that situation of the parents being deaf and the their child isn't adds a lot. But it felt like the movie was relying on it too much, and I feel like without without that premise, if that makes sense, the movie doesn't work as well. Like, if this was a movie about just a generic girl that wants to sing and her parents did not understand her passion for singing i don't think this would have been a good movie um i think and it at the the situation adds a lot to it and to be fair i feel like that's that's kind of gaslighting it because like uh i think a lot of movies are the same way like potentially but like that's just what it really felt like to me in this movie even though it's really well done um it's just the it, it felt felt too easy and there just wasn't enough conflict, and the themes just kind of flew through. It, it was like a check by, it was checking off these themes and cliches that are natural to coming of age movies. Um, and it wasn't really like tackling it and getting to the meat of it. Yeah, I think I get what you're saying. And yeah, I, under, I understand what you're saying. Um, I think, I think this is a movie that like, it uses those cliches, but to lean into them more would have really hurt it. Uh, but I think to lean into them the way it did was fine. Because, like, as you say, um, you say it's a movie that, like, didn't have... I mean, it did It did have conflict, but it wasn't, like... Her parents weren't exactly against her going to school, to music school, or, like, liking singing. I thought it was actually really interesting that the conflict wasn't that they were you know, very against this for some reason or that they were always, or that they were bad parents or that they were like really upset that she would be making a choice that doesn't benefit them. I think it was really interesting that the conflict arose from she's trying to do something that her parents like will try their best, but almost, but almost certainly will never understand. Like they, they just don't understand what she, what joy she gets from singing because you know they they can't they can't get that they can't relate at all and i think that that's really interesting because it's led it led to a lot of the best uh dialogue in the movie which is where her parents are like you know trying to figure out um 
what's even going on? Like, how do they even approach this situation? Because it's not something they could have ever imagined. Um, and yeah, I think that like, because I mean, her, she has a very good family life and her parents are just good parents. So like, I think that that does ultimately lead to what you're saying. A lot of the film being easy, but like, I don't necessarily see that as as much of a problem. I think that like, it's interesting that a conflict can be as, you know, it's not an earth shattering conflict. Her parents, like, I don't know, in a coming of age story, you typically expect like really bad parents or the world is against them or something. And like this, this movie, the, the non easy answers come from, and come entirely from Ruby's own like decisions, lack thereof, or trying to balance various things. Like it's not a very external conflict. It's all internal without this being like a really, you know, without this being a character piece necessarily. That's fair. Well, I I feel like with a lack of conflict, they would have had to beef up the characters more, if that makes sense. Make me like them more. I, I just didn't necessarily feel like I, was like rooting for anyone you know like i didn't mm-hmm. i didn't love the main character i thought she was like you know she was nice and i i i, I like like i like the i feel like a lot of people can relate to the following your passion and stuff but like i was never like oh my god like she's so like unique it's just her situation was unique right mm-hmm. um same thing like and, and like even with the music stuff i, I wish they really gave her like I, they reference that she likes music, but I wish they gave her like a drive for the music. Like to me, it, a lot of going to school felt more like, uh, like she got into music because she liked a guy, and then she turned out to be talented. So he told her to sing, and then she's going to singing school. But it wasn't like a she didn't fight, she didn't really fight for it. You know, like she's not like I love singing. Like this, this makes me like. Like this, this has changed my life or whatever. This is making me a whole new person. Like I didn't really see much change in her character when she started singing. Like maybe she's more confident, but also like you could just, I don't know, say she like, and she was dating that guy kind of, but like, I don't know. I just didn't feel like she earned anything. Yeah, that's fair. I I would say like, I mean, I don't know that I a hundred percent agree, but what I would agree with is I think that, of the characters, Ruby is not the strongest. Uh, she's she's fine. Um, basically, I I more or less agree with everything you just described for her as. Um, but like for me, a lot of this, uh, I I think that um, I I found that her family, the characters played by Troy Kotsur, uh, Daniel Durant, and Marley Matlin, her family was really beefed up for this, and so. Um, I was always excited to see them in the, in their roles. Cause I thought they, they brought a lot of the heart that I won't say Amelia Jones lacked, but maybe uh, the way her character was written. Um, she needed that like extra emotional pull from them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I definitely think the, the, they were very like the parents were extremely charismatic. Mm-hmm. And they brought up the movie a lot. Um, I also say the same. I I miss the the character of like the best 
friend um, who is like there a lot at the start of the movie and then I feel like is just kind of forgotten about until the very end. I feel like a plot line was maybe cut there or something. I don't know. It felt weird to me, but I liked their chemistry together. And I was, oh, yeah. I was kind of saddened. Like, I completely forgot about her when she shows up at the end. I was saddened to see, like, because that, that social life or like other side of her life side is kind of replaced by her being with a guy storyline. And mm-hmm. the thing is, her and the guy just had no chemistry at all. And yeah. They didn't really have anything, like, they didn't, there was nothing special about their relationship that really, like, convinced me this was, like, worth ditching the friendship storyline, which, or the friendship uh, character, which was, I think, much, much better acted. I thought she was actually pretty charismatic um, and much better executed. Uh, but she was more, I guess, more used as a setup. To, to get to the guy, which is unfortunate. Um, actually, just on the note of her, I don't have very much to say about Amy Forsyth, uh, the person you were just describing, in this movie, but I will... Uh, here's, here's my secret tip of the day, and for you, Pierre. There is a Thank movie you. that uh, just recently came out um, called Novice. The, the Novice. It's about, it's, about, uh, univers- it's about college-level rowing, and Amy Forsyth is in it as uh, also playing like the friend character, and she has a lot more to do in that movie, and she's also very good in it. I think she's actually nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for that movie. Oh well, there you go. Like she she has a, she has a lot of potential. She should have been in the movie more. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think like just to just to sort of wrap up, what would you what would you give this movie? Uh, I I give it like a six point five maybe. Like it's enjoyable. It like I never, I never felt bored watching it. But I never I I mean I, maybe I felt bored in like the love scenes. I guess. <laughs> but um, yeah. I don't know. It 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 has a lot. It's just really really solid. Um, but it doesn't feel like it's doing anything that really wows me or makes me want to revisit it or really like uh, yeah other other than like the the situation with her family i thought that was just Mm -hmm. an interesting facet of life to see that i haven't seen before um but like to me that's just like that that's what kind of carried the movie like it doesn't really offer anything special otherwise um i'm i'm a little more positive about this i mean you weren't negative about this movie but for me i think it's a strong eight because like uh I I will concede that I think I think Amelia Jones is good in this role, but like I don't think that uh, I I don't think her character has enough to really stand out as someone special, uh, like really special. Um, I definitely can see that many audience members might relate to her a lot, and I I didn't, but certainly like anyone who's watching it, if they do relate to that, then fantastic i'm sure that will hit even better for you but for me the reason i put it as high as i do is i think it's an incredible uh display of like really good passive directing and just as importantly or more importantly i think that i think that ruby rossi's family played by troy kotsur daniel durant and marley matlin elevate this movie to something like really special i think that uh their performances in this were fantastic and like 
there aren't any bad performances in this. I think everyone is doing really good. The worst, the weakest link is definitely the male love interest. But like, even he's not bad. He's just sort of shoved in for no reason, basically. So, you know, he's just there. But yeah, um, I think that I think the performances and the directing alone make this a very strong eight from me. Also, it's just like a really it's a nice kind of heartwarming movie. I really enjoyed watching it. um, And like this is one I can see myself uh, watching again and really enjoying again. Like I think it's uh, it's a nice break from I don't know that this year's had like a huge number of really depressing movies. But like, there's a lot of depressing movies, so you know, I'm I'm happy this one was not bad. Very cool. Yeah, it actually is a relatively feel good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, I, I just like the way it the way it was filmed. It feels like like a lot. It could have been a lot darker, but yeah. Anyways, uh, what's what's the next movie we're checking out, Jeff? So, with a little bit of luck, we're gonna talk about Nightmare Alley next time. Whoa. Which, uh, I think that'll be our first Guillermo del Toro movie we've actually talked about on this on this yeah. podcast. He hasn't made one for four years? Five years? Four years. Uh, the Shape, Shape of Water, Water came out late, late 2017, so. I think so, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So, yeah, excited to see that. Uh, All right, what's the last word, Pierre? <laughs> Fish. <laughs>